Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Ronan Kavanagh, Deputy Editor of EI New Energy. I'm here today to share some insights into the top energy transition trends to watch closely in the year ahead. These have been picked by our team of experts, led by EI New Energy editor Lauren Kraft, who joins me now. Lauren, would you say tumultuous is an apt description of today's new energy transition, as it seems poised to see a mix of acceleration and slowdowns at the dawn of the 2020s? Yes, thanks, Ronan. Definitely, yes. On one hand, we see political and financial pressures really closing in on fossil fuels, which is casting industries like big oil by surprise, both at the pace of change as well as the weight of the demands. Yet the clean energy transition is by no means charging along smoothly. And we see setbacks dotting the road in areas like China's electric vehicle market and also the negotiations around uh, a long-envisioned UN carbon market. And then there's also wild cards, meanwhile, that are clouding the path for areas like hydrogen development, development toward a hydrogen economy, and then also U.S. energy and climate policy, given that we have the presidential elections this year. Now, last year we saw investment scrutiny tightening, but are environmental, social and governance demands entering a new, more active phase now? Indeed, companies will increasingly be pressured by investors, also governments, customers and wider society uh, to sharpen their alignment with the Paris goals and focus on reducing emissions in absolute terms, not just intensity, and also along the whole value chain from exploration and production down to final consumption by their customers. And what do investors want from this and how might it evolve? We see investors wanting short and long-term targets. They want the inclusion of these targets into management compensation schemes, as well as appropriate reporting, including stress testing against a range of climate scenarios. Engagement will continue to strengthen and expose companies to responses and actions ranging from voting against management to underweighting, and then ultimately selective divestment. ESG considerations will likely expand among passive investors as financial services providers reinforce their range of tilted indexes, which essentially allow fund managers to build up low-carbon portfolios while sticking to general market performance. And is this just a concern for the big international oil companies? Well, unlisted national oil companies, the NOCs, will also feel the pressure, we think, particularly through lenders, because ESG actions and pressures are spreading beyond stocks. Yeah, and more broadly, too, investment priorities seem to be taking on a greener hue. Indeed, indeed. And the world economy is said to need trillions of dollars to transition to low carbon. So it'll be important for us to watch in 2020 if the financial community channels bigger money and how big into solutions to really get us there. And what about channeling money out of more polluting investments? Yes, exactly. That's the flip side. Last year, we saw more banks and insurance companies blacklist coal with recent examples, including Standard Chartered and also Goldman Sachs. Then we saw the adoption last September of the UN Principles for Responsible Banking, the PRB, by 130 banks in almost 50 countries with some $47 trillion in assets. This shows that society's concerns over global warming or air pollution are really influencing lending mandates. And it's not just coal in the firing line, is it? 
Arctic oil is also being frozen out. And in the future, it'll be interesting to see what else is targeted, if anything, that may be further down the road, but still important to keep in mind and watch. And could political pressures also start clamping harder on big oil um, as climate concerns grow more urgent in many regions? Absolutely. I think it does vary by region, but we've seen the spread of the Extinction Rebellion protests, and this has really galvanized action with governments increasingly embracing policies and ambitions around a net zero economy. Tensions remain with campaigners demanding a more rapid phase out of fossil fuels than currently envisioned. And how are those who are in the firing line responding? We see some responding with new climate targets, most recently Repsol, which came out with some strong goals. Companies are also working together, including through the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, the OGCI. The year 2020 could see big oil companies accelerating new energy initiatives, which with more of them probably looking to offset emissions as well. Uh, a lot of the efforts to date have focused on setting targets, and eventually the focus should switch to action as the Paris Agreement enters its implementation period this year. Indeed. And with the policy push as well, we're seeing kind of falling renewable prices, challenging gas more. Yeah, Solar photovoltaic power, solar PV, it's already cheaper than gas peakers in most parts of the world. And so is wind versus combined cycle gas turbines. Until recently, the intermittency of renewables was seen as a big challenge for them and then a major challenge on the flip side for gas turbines. But the fast falling cost of batteries and storage, thanks to thanks you know, in large part to the uptake of electric cars will allow solar plus storage to displace conventional electricity at the retail level or even the wholesale level in more locations like Southern California or Australia. Watch out later this month for our early year energy cost report, which will have more details. Every year we publish that in the winter and then another in the summer. And speaking of costs, I mean, offshore wind has really been standout with the progress it's made. Indeed. The cost of offshore wind keeps tumbling and may even overtake its onshore cousin, cousin onshore wind, in favorable locations thanks to longer hours of operation and also they have larger turbines. Longer term, very cheap renewable electricity will also make hydrogen from electricity more competitive and open a new front for gas, perhaps, since hydrogen can largely use the same infrastructure. Interesting. So is hydrogen finally poised to come of age? This is an unknown, but certainly an area to watch closely because we're seeing a lot of movement. Discussion and investment has certainly picked up in the last year or two years around hydrogen's potential. And even though it lagged behind other technologies like solar and wind in the past, we are seeing a flurry of private and public initiatives and a lot of joint partnerships that are attempting to lay the groundwork for a hydrogen economy that's been envisioned for so long. Many see it as a destination fuel because of its versatility, its flexibility. But how broad could this kind of envisaged hydrogen economy be? The potential is broad. Transport Transportation remains a strong potential market for hydrogen. This includes heavy trucks, ships, and also trains. We're also seeing increasing interest in using hydrogen to store excess renewable electricity. And then attention is focusing on using gas, natural gas, to produce hydrogen, which could be carbon neutral if it's paired with carbon capture technology. So what next for hydrogen? What should we watch out for? For the hydrogen vision to turn into a reality, 
which is still an unknown. We should watch for strides that are quite necessary on both hydrogen infrastructure, getting that infrastructure in place, and then also fuel cell costs, which could come down through economies of scale. Something to watch in 2020 is the momentum of these new partnerships, uh, the pipeline of these new partnerships designed to move hydrogen projects and systems off the ground. Now, looking to conventional gas, I mean, expansion of gas on the global stage is running into more and more environmental scrutiny. I mean, can the industry overcome this? Over the last five years, an interesting statistic is that gas counted for the fastest growth rate of CO2 emissions among the major fossil fuels, and it was outpacing oil and coal. Emissions from gas flaring also continue to grow. So as a result, demands will keep rising for LNG projects and also pipeline gas projects to prove that their life cycle emissions, their wells to wheels emissions, are greener than competitors. We can also expect calls for tougher scope one and scope two emissions targets, and then more calls for hard scope three emissions goals around the customer's use of the products. And how, I mean, how might this play out in terms of um, the methane problem in particularly? Well, we can probably expect the methane problem to be judged pretty harshly if some of the lagging companies fail to act. Investors will judge peer versus peer and perhaps underweight the worst offenders. The European Investment Bank, interestingly, recently decided to blacklist gas from 2020 onwards. That may be an anomaly. Our internal view is that this is a bit of an aberration. But then again, snowballs can turn into avalanches, as we've seen so many times in history. Indeed, indeed. Now let's turn to another material challenge to the status quo, this time from EVs. I mean, experts have been warning for years of the day when EVs will topple the internal combustion engine, and particularly with the technology advancing so rapidly. I mean, is that a looming tipping point, do you think? Uh, One of my favorite topics, predictions about the timing of this inflection point, this tipping point, and its impacts on oil demand. They remain all over the map, perhaps suggesting the hour is approaching. In other words, it may be the fog and rain before the storm hits, so to speak. Automakers certainly are sticking with surprisingly ambitious electrification plans, but the question is, are these even enough? Ratings agency Moody's said the sector remains unprepared for the transition still. In a recent analysis, charging infrastructure and the availability of budget-friendly EV models still have a ways to go. Now, consumers are ultimately in the driver's seat when it comes to this transition, literally and figuratively. Now, we've seen kind of EVs growing fast, I mean, but they're still very much a niche. When could they kind of break out and become more mainstream? Yes. Global EV sales totaled roughly 1.1 million for the first half of 2019. That's up a pretty significant 46% from the first half of the year before, the first half of 2018. But there's still a small fraction of overall auto sales. We should watch how the market moves in China in particular. There we've seen sales 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 grow slow due to a slash in subsidies, but a boost may come from a new 15-year plan there to hike the national EV sales target. Also, we can watch for more plans to phase out or ban conventional cars in more jurisdictions around the globe. 
Now let's turn to the political arena. I mean, at its high level, highest level, the UN climate negotiations. And we saw in Madrid in December, failure again to reach agreement. I mean, this time on carbon trading measures that were in the Paris Agreement. And we're looking at negotiators needing to reach a final decision. Can you tell me why this deadlock? Why, why the lack of progress? Well, carbon trading is particularly polarizing with advocates of it, including oil companies, arguing that this carbon trading is crucial to achieving the deep emissions cuts that the Paris goals ultimately demand. And then also the option of offsetting through these markets, allowing some continued use of fossil fuels. Critics are skeptical that markets can be effective now, given the troubled history of these markets under the Kyoto Protocol. With the Paris implementation period starting this year, many countries hope to use carbon trading as they are called on to increase their ambitions. So this debate this debate is really important. And of course, just before the start of COP26 next year, we'll have the US presidential election, which is going to have big ripple effects globally and domestically, What no matter what happens. Indeed, here in the U.S., the Democratic primary race, the race to select a challenger for President Trump, is already in full swing. And in terms of the details on energy policy, compared to past races like 2016, 2012, the platforms have really taken on a step change. They're far, far tougher on climate change and also phasing out fossil fuels. Uh, Trump's challenger is to be decided in primary elections that will run from February through June and then formally declared in July. We'll know more then. Uh, and any any guesses what we might see in the race? As the incumbent, Trump statistically has a better shot, but the U.S. electorate is a moving and unpredictable target, of course. It'll be important to watch to see how the race influences U.S. policy on transportation, which is now the top source of carbon emissions in the U.S., and then also how it affects U.S. participation in the Paris Agreement, which could have a somewhat invisible yet still powerful effect on global climate ambition. And finally now, just looking back at carbon markets again, I mean, China has been eyed as one of the world's largest potentially, although progress has been slower than expected. Will 2020 be any different? This will be big when it happens, but it's an area where we are only going to see small progress this year. Two years ago, the expectation was that China was about to get a huge national program going, one that would be the world's largest in size. But even now, China doesn't yet have a fully functioning countrywide carbon market, despite having pilot carbon exchanges running in provinces and cities. The delay seems to be a result of inexperience and uh, the country underestimating the tasks involved, not a lack of determination. Uh, Right now, China is said to be on the cusp of entering a one-year simulation phase, which would be led by power plants. And then that would be followed by the operation phase, which with a fully functioning market, eyed for around 2021, 2022. But most experts don't expect that fully functioning carbon market until perhaps 2025. Interesting. Well, certainly whatever transpires, it's going to be a very interesting year ahead. I mean, we have potential risks for the energy sector crystallizing and new opportunities presenting themselves in a market in flux. I mean, this is something we'll be exploring in in our new energy publication and in these podcasts. Thank you, Renan. I'd also like to thank as well as you. Uh, who contributed to our top 10 outlook, which is available uh, in our publication. Also, Philippe Roos, who is in France, our expert there. Jay Eden, 
uh, another expert who's with you there in London, Ronan, and then also our expert in Singapore, Kim Feng Wong. And thank you, Lauren, too, for joining us as well today, and to all our listeners for tuning in to the Energy Transition Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com. Thank you.